Hey everybody, it's Ned Buskirk. Welcome to your Creatively Conscious Mortality podcast, You're Going to Die. That's what it is. You know, we're just having conversations with people who I think creatively, but also inspiringly deal with this hard fact of life or this, let's say, like, I won't impose my my feelings on it. I'll try to keep it as emotionless and matter of fact. It, it is a fact of life, death, the eventuality that awaits us all. And it's a part of who we are being mortal. I'm feeling happy to be here for another episode, another chance to imagine this voice of mine being in your ears wondering what's worth saying. Um, yeah, before that, I wanted to say I was, I was, uh, I was preparing for a, a memorial that we facilitated, helped facilitate, helped create with community. A dear friend of mine asked us to come, Chelsea Coleman and I, come hold space with, with this community and their specific loss of a community member. And so I was spending like a week trying to kind of get to there and feeling the significance that it would be in person and, but also the significance of the opportunity to, to do that kind of thing now, which I feel like now more than ever, it's always kind of been maybe a missing. It's the, not the funeral, not the memorial. It's the later on holding space for a loss. I don't, it's something I never had with my mom. And it's partly why You're Going to Die came into being because of that missing thing. And so now I think our organization is positioned and having done this for so many years, really kind of creating the, okay, you lost this person and probably had a funeral already and it's been a year. Do you want to come to this open mic and talk about it? That's what it was for me years later after losing my mom. And so now a little more officially getting a chance to make that specific kind of space the months later, the years later after a loss, where is your grief now? Assuming that it's not gone away. How has it transformed? How has it changed you? What is it offering you now? How does it hurt now? And so I spent, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the week thinking about it and journaling and writing. And I even wrote a, wrote a letter to the, the dead, um, kind of asking, for permission to hold the space and I guess a, a prayer, like a question asking what, what could it be? What should it be? Treating these things always as a question mark, not a, here's how we do it. This is how it goes. You know, more of a, okay, I'm a question coming into this. How can I answer that question? And then I, I kind of had that session one morning and meanwhile, the Euro Cup's playing in the background, which has been pretty cool to watch with my son, who's playing a lot more soccer now. And he's, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm biased, but, you know, I think he's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> um, whatever. But it's been really cool to feel more interested because of his interest in soccer and wanting to play it constantly to share that with him and watch some games on ESPN. And we did that. We were watching the Euro Cup, and I remember like putting my journal down. We're watching this game between Denmark and Finland, and transitioning into okay, buddy, yeah, let's watch this thing. And I swear to you that within thirty seconds, something happened on the field that was out of the ordinary. It's like nothing I'd ever seen, ever. And I don't, I don't watch a ton of sports. I know these things happen every now and then, but this just it was it was new to me, and it was a moment of a. Uh, player in the middle of the game just for no reason at all as far as you can tell 
as an observer collapsing on the field. Like literally, I think it was, it was on camera because the ball had been passed to him and it bounced off his leg. By the time it hit his leg, he already looked like something was wrong or going wrong. And watching the footage of this was traumatizing in itself because you really just see him, Christian Erickson, collapse on the field. And you can see in a quick shot as another player maybe realizes in the same visual, uh, but like live and in person, the eyes of this player just open like dead eyes, like, like it looked like they were gone. And they proceed, the medical team comes out because you see this player, the player's like teammate see what's up and call in for help. And they do come in and they help. And, and I don't know what to feel or say for sure about the fact that the cameras were on this the whole time. Like it never stopped. They never stopped filming all of this. But what started to happen is you could like see, even though all the players circled up and, and linked arms around this occurrence to protect for privacy and for all the reasons you can imagine they would, so powerful. But through their legs, you can see some medical professionals giving Christian Erickson CPR. And and it just keeps going, you know, they, they did a defibrillator, like literally on camera broadcast internationally. And there's never a certainty that this player is okay. There's only that he's not okay. And no one says it, but there's just the, he's, he's dying or he's dead. And I'm sitting there with my son. I'm trying to communicate with him what's going on. I don't want to turn it off. I want to just like say what is, but I don't want to like scare him away from playing soccer. I mean, you just think the kid's going to make a connection that, okay, so if I play soccer, I could end up dead on the field. I'm just trying to be like, this just happened. We don't know why. It doesn't look like he had an accident. He just fell over. And we just sat and watched it together until they put sheets up around him and walked him off the field. And by then it was like, this is for sure. This, this player's gone. Like Christian Erickson's dead. Um, and then like my kids and my wife had to leave and maybe within an hour or two, definitely longer than that, where it was official, there was a picture that got distributed of some, someone took it between a couple players of, of Christian Erickson with his eyes open and his hand on his head. And, and someone tweeted it and was like, he's alive. He's okay. But you don't know. You're just hoping. But all I can say is just what it left in me, the lightness and aliveness of a football game like that watching something so energetic and exciting and and having this death show up and and he's fine he he is fine since uh you know he's in the hospital and they stabilized him that day but watching the crowd the silence the commentators trying to process and honor what's going on that we were allowed to watch it all. I almost have both the feeling of, yeah, like we should all be there. The world should hold it. But then the part of me that's like, no, this is sacred. And if he had died, I don't know. I just, I feel like that veil between the things is so thin always. And we just don't know it. The curtain is thick, but it's, it's thin. It's, you know, the, you can't see through the curtain. You can't see through the veil, but it's so thin. It blows open sometimes, or you can feel something through it on the other side. And to have this mortality presencing, this mortal moment, bring a, a, a stadium to silence and tears, some. And then the, the world, it's rare to feel that. I feel like it's 
It'd be like if everyone watched me with my mom in those last moments. And feeling the grief well up in there, not just the grief of what was occurring, but the grief we have for these inevitabilities, the grief we have for a year and a half. I was just imagine the stadium of people being together and having COVID be the background still for this major sporting event. And what this proximity to death what it brings up out of us from our lifetimes as individuals and communities. And that there is something medicinal about it still, or it's not the right word, but there's something about it that like the impact is undeniable. It's truth. It's just being faced with truth, the fragility, precious fragility of us. Think of these players being heroes, uh, superheroes, unstoppable healthy, capable of feats of strength and immune because we just see them at the top of their game, at the top of their lives in terms of activity, the highest moments of physical prowess and ability just leveled in this moment. I don't know what else to say about it. I'm crying a little bit letting the grief in, <laughs> let my own little grief in about it. I don't even know what that was worth for all of you, but I'm, I want to, I wanted to say it out loud and say what it was like. And now I want to share with you a really wonder, well, if you're cracked open, <laughs> if you're cracked open, I want to share with you a loving and light and inspiring and funny conversation. In this episode, we have guest Anis, Mojgani, and uh, he is the current Poet Laureate of Oregon, a two-time individual champion of the National Poetry Slam and winner of the International World Cup Poetry Slam. He has performed his work for audiences all over the globe. His work has appeared on HBO and NPR and in the pages of the New York Times and in the recent Penguin Anthology, African-American Poetry, 250 Years of Struggle and Song. And he's the author of five books of poetry and an opera, Libretto. Did I say that right? <laughs> I should have checked. I feel good about it. His first children's book is forthcoming from Chronicle Books in 2023. He's originally from New Orleans and now lives in Portland, Oregon. A couple of the books we talk about from his catalog today are In the Pockets of Small Gods and The Pocket Knife Bible. Both of these books are published by Right Bloody Books. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just... I just, I, I, I have nothing, <laughs> I have nothing else to say. I just, I just feel like I said all the things I wanted to say. And this conversation is like introduction enough to Anise. And uh, I hope you get like uh, my fondness for him through the conversation. This is the first time we'd ever talked. Again, another one of those moments to be like, oh my gosh, hello. Yes. And there's some pretty intense topics, of course. I mean, the podcast is called You're Going to Die. Of course, it's intense uh, sometimes. But uh, there is some talk of suicide ideation. And by the way, if you're listening and want to support more of You're Going to Die, the podcast, share it with everybody, you know, give us reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, jump on your Apple podcast app and give us a review. We might share yours on the show. And then also you can go to our patreon.com forward slash YG2D and support us there and eventually get some extra treats because you're a patron. And regardless, whatever you do, just glad to be here in your ear with Anise Mojgami. But it's like, you know, like I mentioned, I don't 
think that, you know, just because like I'm experiencing this like horrible moment in my life doesn't mean that uh, the humor that the universe provides all of us with suddenly stops, you know, and doesn't and and, and nor should it like um, keep me from participating in that humor and seeing that which, you know, like I think it can be really hard for us to let that good stuff in when we are low because our lowness starts to be the thing that one yes. defines us. And two, you know, I was talking to my therapist about this recently or somebody like about how, you know, like, like I through 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 my period of grief, like, in, 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 in these recent years, the, the thing that I very much walked away with is the belief that like grief is a thing who loves me. Grief is a thing that loves us. Grief is the thing that holds our hand and stands with us as we deal with insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable loss and pain and suffering. And so um if grief is the thing that loves us and grief is the thing that arrives when we have nothing, um, the thought of grief not being there, you know, is a terrifying thing. And like, and so the thought of grief not being there because there is something good in our life, because there is joy, because there is lightness. Well, then that's like cause to wonder like, well, will my grief leave me? And if my grief leaves me, then I'm completely alone, you know? And so I think it, it, it does become challenging for us at times to recognize that, like, that's not the case, you know? And that, like, it, 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 it is terribly important to, like, especially in those, those times of great loss and sadness, um, to still honor that which makes us smile, you know, that which makes us laugh. I think it's very, very yeah. important. Not to mention, like, also, like, as, as, as a writer and performer, like, I don't want to, uh, as an advocate for the audience, like, I do not want to, like, you know, I don't want to sit in an audience that's just like, oh, man, this is like an hour no. of this dude's dead friend and, like, crappy marriage. Like, where's, well, I, I, I can't know, handle this, know, you know, like. I know. But I also, I, so that, you know, it, it yeah, has to have a balance, right. it, you know, and I do think there's a, because you're so willing to go into the grief like you described earlier with if you were just living a hundred percent life of comfort because you're willing to go into the grief there is catharsis you know when you do it healthily and i imagine even mm -hmm. specifically i'd like to kind of hear you speak to creatively how you do that because mm -hmm. your writing is 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 a version of that uh it is the the work of grieving um at least in in, in mm -hmm. one of the ways it is in the world and so when we do that, like when I have these shows where it's called you're going to die and we all gather and people are like, what the hell show are you going to? It's like, <laughs> OK, yeah, I get it. It's going to be intense. <laughs> like there will be tears. But because of that, we will laugh deeply. You know, like there will be moments mm -hmm. of lightness like you haven't experienced in a long time. And, and even maybe death won't be better. But when you leave, you'll be more alive. And that kind of that's the yes. like the balance of go in there like go in there it's okay it's okay like you'll come out you'll be you'll be lighter you know there will be levity there will be joy there will be celebration but you you do need to like do the practice while it's not easy right i love that you describe that you're like don't yeah. i don't become don't let your identity be the grief feel the grief you know like process the grief yeah. write the grief you know and because I've, I've been there, you know, like Me I've too. been there where like it, it like I didn't know what to do if if my grief was not there with me, you know, like I, like I was like the thought of that, you know, because like, then I think it also, at least with me, it was my experience that I, you know, had to then start. I, I then found myself questioning, like, well, if if my suffering leaves me or leaves me too soon does that then mean that which I am grieving is not worthy of my grief? You know, like, does that then mean that which I have loved and, and is no longer here um, was a thing that I ever actually loved? Was it a thing that like I loved in the way right, that I believe yes. that I did? You know, so I, so like my grieving has to like be, mm -hmm. be equitable, <laughs> must, must, yes. must equate in the same vastness yes, of my love, yes. you know? Um, otherwise like, 
Mm-hmm. My love wasn't real. My love wasn't the size that I thought it was. And, 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 and that becomes hard, you know, to totally. wrestle with that. I, I was thinking while reading your book, um, your books, just, my, you know, think about my own loss and specifically with my mom and something I've thought about this year, maybe more than usual that after over 10 years, over 15 years of, of her being gone, mm-hmm. thinking about, is it okay for me still to have moments of grief? And he's like, I know the answer to these things, yeah. but there is that kind of like, well, she <laughs> deserves it. And it, and, and for that reason, you both deserve it. And it does match the loss still. And yeah, there is still a tending to like, well, how has it changed then? You know, you get to be th- more thoughtful about yeah. it. You get to have questions around it. So it is not as like devastatingly leveling as it was in the beginning, but that there is still room. And in fact, like grief will continue in a lot of ways and connect to like a bigger well of grief that connects to grief around other parts of my life and other people in my life and knowing that like it's okay like you can you can you can do that and return there and come back up for air exactly again and again you know because it's like you know there's 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 ways in which that you know we you know the days or the moments when uh we're certainly blindsided out of Mm-hmm. nowhere of of our loss you know like it just it, you know it's like you know it's almost like feeling like you threw a pebble and in, 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 into a river but you didn't realize that it was like mm-hmm. a boomerang you know and that like it has traveled and comes back to you on some random day and like just like knocks you and you're like oh i for whatever reason i feel this immense loss today you know and like that's all right you know and 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 also just like you know, I mean, like, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, it's like wh- however which way one wants to wants to take it. But like, you know, I think the reality is that like, yeah, grief is always going to like be there, you know, like it's like a, um, you know, a buckshot mm-hmm. under the skin, you know, like, a, you know, a creakiness in your knee that you know, on the, on the gray days, like flares up or something, you know, like it's, 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 it's there, you know, we travel with it and it travels with us and it's not like, all right, I got to like figure this out and put it to bed and, uh, get over it. You know, it's not, it's not even so much about like whether one has gotten over something or not gotten over something, you know, like it is, it is important for us to, to, to acknowledge and recognize, like there are people that, um, uh, we have loved. There are um, um, chapters of our lives that we have loved, um, and we have lost both of those. And um, there's nothing wrong with like remembering that and holding that. Um, you know, it's not. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't want to get over my my love for Jeff. You know, I don't want to get over um, my loss of Jeff. I, I don't want to have that loss uh be -hmm. debilitating Mm -hmm. to my living um but uh this is a person that i loved immensely Mm -hmm. and still do you know um and so it doesn't it doesn't serve me to sort of like (laughs) uh put that love for him Mm -hmm. like in a box and only like take it out when it feels safe to feel to take it out there's a a participant in one of our grief workshops who kind of reminds me of what you described there how you know you end up starting to grieve the grief you know that there's a there's that phase Mm -hmm. and stage and yeah where the loss has become the grief and and i remember her just saying through tears that she was feeling at that part of of the grief moving and 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 so what a major catharsis these works are especially um, you're in the pockets of small gods. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering about what your relationship is. Like, do you, did it, did the book feel like a catharsis? Definitely. You know, like it, and you know, it's, um, you know, I don't think it was like the one and singular mm-hmm. ultimate catharsis, um, you know, that there were very cathartic moments that were existing um, that had nothing to do with the book that then allowed me to write the book and cathartic moments that happened after the book 
that happened as a result right. of me writing the book, you know? Um, but yeah, you know I mean? Like writing that book was just like a weird, you know, on one level, it's like such a weird mm. process. Cause like, I, um, I mean, my, my marriage collapsed like in 2014. And, uh, like then, it, it left me in a place where um, the grief that I was experiencing as a result of that started unfolding grief of the loss of Jeff, my best friend, who um, committed suicide back in 2006, you know? And so it was like unpacking grief mm-hmm. that like I didn't really realize that I hadn't, you know, not even so much that I hadn't like dealt, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't know that I didn't know that I hadn't, you know, um, a person died and I dealt with it, like how I dealt with it, which was what I thought was, you know, like, you don't know if you're like putting pants on wrong <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until like, you know, yeah. that you're putting pants yeah. you on see wrong, someone else you know, pants the other direction. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Even you then know? we're not sure. Um, <laughs> and like, so it, it, it's, uh, uh, it, it, it suddenly was like this like realization of, oh, there's all this stuff that I've been carrying around that mm, I didn't know yeah, that I was. Yeah, I think I of was. it as like that well and, that the grief of your separation yeah. connects to that well, and that well has another channel of water that runs to Jeff, you know? <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, so that was, um, you know, 2014, 2015. Uh, and so like when I was writing the book, a big chunk of the writing was like I'd gone down to... Um, uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, to this place called Serenby, where I'd been a few times to do residencies. And I went there for like three, four weeks. And, um, you know, with the intent to just like really focus in on, um, putting together like the, the majority of this book, uh, Pockets of Small Gods. Um, you know, so it was like this like weird mix of like some days like just not doing anything and like not not getting stuff done and other days like editing poems and other days just like crying for like what felt like hours, you know, um, because I was like positioning myself, you know, with what I needed to be positioned next to, you know, that which I loved very, very much. You know, like this friend, um, this wife, uh, this marriage, uh, this self, um, and how none of those were there in the way that they had once been. And, you know, so it was definitely like a very strange process of like, all right, go just (laughs) feel shitty for most of the time. Yeah, days yeah. on end and like see what happens <laughs> yeah. you know like see what comes out um and not just like go feel shitty but like go make mm-hmm. yourself totally feel shitty totally. you know um uh go into this room and like do the work that uh you need to do which you know like and and you know definitely there's an aspect of that that does sound as if it's almost like this like weird sadomasochist thing um, and perhaps it is, you know, uh, perhaps it is like harmful, but like, um, well, do you believe that? I mean, do you, do you think about that time? I, being I think it depends on the person. You? No, like for me, no, you know, and that's the thing. Like, I think like, um, I don't think it's like sort of like, here's what everyone should go and do, you know? Yeah. And fairness um, to you, like you'd be one day, you'd be like, that was <laughs> fucked up. Like I definitely didn't need to put myself through that particular part, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, like, but I do think that, like, it is, you know, like, I think about how much we as a society sort of kind of, like, baby children in ways in which that doesn't honor how cognizant and adept and beautifully aware that they are or can be. And that, like, um... You know, the thing that I think is always fascinates me about us when we are young is that like we have our own boundaries that we set for ourselves, you know, that like we 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 bring ourselves to certain edges and we um, 
either learn or are already aware of what is the edge that we can go over safely and what is the edge mm-hmm. we cannot, you know? And like, you know, I think we it, it, it behooves us to treat ourselves in the same way that I would hope that we would treat yeah. children, you know, in that same manner that honors and respects like them to to uh, uh, to, to to have their own awareness in certain situations, you know, and that like for us as well, like to 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 know like when a room is too hot yeah. and to not go yeah. in there, and when a room is is hot enough that we can go in there, because like I do think it is it 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 is important for us to like look at and hold the things um, that are uncomfortable for us to look at and hold, you know, like, you know, we do not grow without stretching through our skin, like just in a, in a physical biological mm-hmm. manner, you know, like, like it, 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 it hurts mm-hmm. to grow, you know, and we have to grow. We cannot like remain the same size um, mm-hmm. our entire life. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think that like, it is important for us to position ourselves in spaces that might be uncomfortable um, and not, not, not harming ourselves, but like, you know, learning to recognize what's the difference between um, uh, inflicting harm upon ourselves and making Mm -hmm. space for growth. You know, those are two different things. few words for our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by The Lost Church. The Lost Church has made a whole lot of You're Going to Die possible over the years, and I do mean over the years. You're Going to Die, Poetry, Prose, and Everything Goes is sort of the origin of, it really is, there's no sort of, it's the origin of You're Going to Die. All the things we do, it started from that open mic. And there's only a couple venues, two specifically, that hold true as a home for that open mic. And one of those venues, the last venue that the You're Going to Die Poetry, Prose, and Everything Goes show ever happened in live is The Lost Church. You can check them out at thelostchurch.com. Their goal is to create a network of performance parlors that can host and nurture local and touring artists in a way that the larger spaces never can. And let me tell you, some of the great shows we've done, they've been in big venues. Uh, We've had, you know, over 700 people in attendance at some of our concerts, and that was unforgettable. But nothing is more important than the space that the Lost Church has held for You're Going to Die over the last few years. That intimate... 50 to 100 seat kind of space that's already was rare and is now rarer than ever. There are far more artists in the world who can fill a 49 seat theater than can fill a 490 seat theater. It is a needed kind of venue. And there are already established business models to keep the larger spaces alive. Due to the massive amount of permitting and regulation involved in running a performance space, as well as often suffering from minimal to non-existent promotion budgets, the average life of a smaller performance space is less than five years. This is normally right about the time that they finally start building up some name recognition and visibility in the community. The Lost Church's dream is to build a strong nonprofit arts organization that handles the running of these spaces, the leasing, the booking, the promoting, and allows local members of the community to run and curate the individual nights. They create they sustain, they defend. They open new neighborhood spaces for live performance, whether it's in the back of a restaurant, a portable mini circus tent, or signing long-term leases. They keep performance spaces alive by instituting simple and fresh, sustainable business practices. This includes proper permitting, management, and promotion. And 
They support small performance spaces under fire, whether it's by installing sustainable business practices, supplying legal and financial support, or helping with crisis management. The Lost Church is where it's at. On the other side of this pandemic, as we come out into reopenings and shows happening again, artists are going to need spaces like the spaces the Lost Church creates, sustains, and defends. So check out thelostchurch.com, get connected, contribute to their organization, help them do more of what they're doing in the world. So I asked Denise if he wouldn't mind sending us a little field recording of one of his peace pockets out in the world, which we are packaging in Nick Jana's musical wrappings and offering into your little ear canals so this peace pocket can open up inside of you. Writing the book for me was a way to try to relinquish the responsibility that young Anise had placed on his shoulders um, and, like, take care of him now, basically. And, you know, like, writing that book, you know, I think arrived me at a place of, like, exploring and believing in ideas of how philosophies of how like time is not how we're shaped to believe, you know, that it is. And, you know, and I do think that like this year, the pandemic has, has supported yeah, that I, idea of like, you know, the time is not like, <laughs> does not I exist how we concur. think it exists. And, um, you know, so it's like, I, I, if, if that, which, what, that, which, what I was is still in me, and it's still existing at the exact same time as like the person that I am right now, then, then there are ways in which that I can somehow be in contact and communication with, with that young person of myself. And if, if I can find the ways to remove whatever weight, whatever woes, whatever trauma, um, whatever suffering, whatever, whatever, from uh, their shoulders, from this part of my timeline, um, then like that way in which that they are then freer ripples back through mm-hmm. all of my life and arrives me back at this mm-hmm. juncture lighter mm-hmm. and with less yeah. woe. And 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 so like the book was you know I think very much a, a, a way for me to you know, um, try to find the ways in which that I could be responsible for, for this young person that I was. 
um, and, 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 and take care of him in the way that he had taken care of me, you know, and that like, if, if a six year old builds all this armor around them, you know, to protect themselves, then they're also doing that for their Mm -hmm. adult self, even though they don't need to do that anymore. And so it was a way of like, you know, making them feel freer and thus like myself feel freer. Um, and so like, you know, that, that's, that's all why that, that book from, you know, it was also just like an opportunity to like really explore writing and story and image in a way that, um, is a way that I love and important to me and getting to like be in conversation with childhood Mm -hmm. and memory in um, uh, in all the ways that I, that I, that I want to when I'm writing, but don't always give myself the permission or push to. It really comes across that way. It was really a pleasure to read and be immersed in. Thank you. And I had moments reading it. Like you describe, I think you effectively achieve what you'd set out to, at least in that element of a journal you come upon. Um, in the words of an adult translating where I'd be reading and think, did he have a journal from this eight when he, and I mean, I'm not like, I'm not just like blowing smoke. Like I literally would be reading some of these, these sections of the book and think this has got to be pulled from, from that, from a journal, from that time of his life. So, I mean, it really significantly does that to you. And, and I think in a way, when I say time travel, I think I kind of stole that from maybe a, a review of the book or something you say in the book, but there does, it, it does also feel like me as a reader journey, journey in through all that you just described. And, um, mm-hmm. and I guess worth, worth acknowledging the definitive voice, your voice at the end, if I could just read this to you and, and I'd love to hear you speak to it. Um, the note, which is, which is sort of interestingly like placed next to a picture of you as a little boy where it's like you still on this very page, let them blur, you know, the times blur, but you said Mm -hmm. some days you're talking, you know, third person, some days he wants to leave this place every day. He fights not to. And, um, I guess I, I wonder does the version of you now, relate to the version of you then saying that does a version of you now relate mm-hmm. to those words i mean really i just sat with this this page for a while yeah and i know you know we talk you know in our exchange leading up to this about you know acknowledging very obvious element of suicide and your your poetry with Luke yeah. and jeff and and so i just want to make some room for that maybe is the um thank you for asking that this uh it you know like I, you know, the relationship to, to me at that time from now, you know, like I, uh, like I wish like I could like, you know, just peel through the layers of years to like touch Anise from like mm-hmm. four years ago because um, it was so hard I mean like I mean I feel like you know I don't know like the you know the conversation of suicide I think is like such a, a, a strange one because it's like um, you know I'm grateful that I um at that time had enough awareness of myself to um, see and, and recognize language in my thoughts that was different than what it had been, mm-hmm. you know? Like, as, as I mentioned at the start of um, uh, the opening of In the Pockets of Small Gods, like, you know, recognizing one day that, like, the language in my head was no longer... I wish I were dead to, I want Mm -hmm. to kill myself, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, and realizing like, that's a different kind of Mm -hmm. thought in these, you know? And like, you know, grateful that I was able to have that awareness and that there were people in my life that like, I felt that I could like talk to and be open about without like Mm -hmm. them freaking out because, you know, it's like, 
there's there's an aspect that I think that it is very um, human to to not to want to be here in times mm-hmm. of great pain and um, and that like that I'm trying to figure out the language for it <laughs> like like I, you know that like I think that is both a thing to note of seriousness in us and also a thing to like not put too much seriousness in that like you know that that um uh that that suicidal imaginings are not necessarily the same as suicidal Mm -hmm. intent and suicidal Mm -hmm. actions and it is important to like make space for for that wide spectrum yeah and that being Um, able to in order that they do is like letting the articulation occur because then you can like be with that thing and not have it like stay exactly turn into anything else or what can happen you know exactly you know and so like you know i don't you know that time that i was in was not one where i was like you know you know when i look back i don't feel like it was a time that i was like you know in a, in a really dangerous place, but I was in a place that was very scary for me. And, um, I mean like every day for probably that year, I wondered what it would mean to kill and, myself. And so close and with Jeff, just feeling what's that? And, and wanting to acknowledge for your experience. And I'd, I'd like to hear you speak to this, the, the proximity of possibility with Jeff's, suicide well you know i mean and and which that that is a thing that you know i wrestle with over the years because there's an aspect where i you know no one knows what if but like i i do feel that if um jeff hadn't left this world and i was in the same place that i was that i was in in 2015 then i would have left this world mm-hmm. you know yeah wow. um and it is only through the grace of whatever that he went first and thus like showing me what it means what it really means to those who are left behind when somebody goes of their mm-hmm. own choice and like never wanting to put anyone through what mm-hmm. I experienced as a result mm-hmm. of that. Wow. And, um, yeah. and so that, you know, that then makes it like, you know, this like weird wrestling of like yeah. ego of like, Oh, so like your, your, your best friend's like purpose in life was yeah, to like die so you could stay here. Yeah, it's like, right, no, yeah. you know, but it's complicated. But, I but, can but see that, all the things. It is complicated, yeah. you know? And, um, but like, you know, when I think of like where I was then, you know, definitely like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard these days. And like, you know, the world that we live in is bananas, um, and never seemingly getting less bananas, only more so. Um, and, um, and so it's not without like a moment or an echo or like, you know, a calling from distant shore, you know, across like vast waters. That's like, Hey, you know, like, what about what about this option you know um but like but it also doesn't feel rooted in the life that i live that um that Mm -hmm. dark calling Mm -hmm. you know it is from a far shore um and so it's like you know i don't by no means do i feel in a similar place to where i was then and so like but I, I have such a, a tenderness and a gentleness um, for um, the me that was there, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, like, you know that that phrasing, you know, that uh, of some days wanting to leave and like fighting every day not to um i mean i i do think that there is like there's always a subconscious like fighting that's happening you know because that's still like in me Mm -hmm. it's in all of us um and so it's like what are the things that i'm doing um 
to hold closer like that because I, I mean like like being alive sometimes is such a drag like yeah of course it is like it's just like tiring you know like sometimes like I'm like oh I wish I could like be dead for a little bit you know can I a like just bed? like take like a really yeah. long sleep yes. you yes. know like just just for like a month and then like be like hey guys <laughs> I'm back I'm good to go you know because yeah. um, it's hard mm-hmm. you know but like I also, like, I love being alive. Like, it's like, it's, you know, and I, and I recognize that that can be, like, a very privileged statement mm-hmm. to say, you know? Um, but it also is something that I, I, I wish for, like, all of us to be able to, like, feel privileged enough to say that, you know? That there's just, like, there's so many beautiful 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 things about being alive you know and um um so you know like that's like i i i want to like reach through those those layers of years to that anise you know of like to 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 touch him to to reassure him to thank him for doing what he had to do to experience whatever he had to experience to position me now in a place that um feels so much more rooted and more whole um and connected um to remembering what it means like to 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 remain alive you know thanks for that anise thank you and for like going thank you (laughs) for going to do that work you know that led to these books um because similarly to how I talked at the beginning of our conversation, there's this way of being with me or being with you say, and then that, that trueness to that, that being leads to an offering to others. And, and that that's one way um, amongst many ways of describing, Mm -hmm. at least from my perspective, what you go through as a creative being and how much it means, uh, to me and and I know a, a lot of people that have been able to receive your work. Um, thank you. Thank you, Ned. And is it, you know, like that's, that's an important thing for me, you know, in that, like the ways in which, um, I have learned or been comforted or been expanded by, um, the work of others in this world, you know, like, and continue to do so, um, you know, the things that I make, like a large part of that, not so, you know, parts of the making, but a large part of the sharing is there to, um, hopefully make space for, um, fortunate things that have come my way that have like, provided me illumination or peace that perhaps like may provide some part of some similar thing to somebody else, you know, particularly when it comes to things like loss and grief, since it's like such a thing that we just like, don't, you know, so much of the world tries to, um, shield those conversations at, at, at a, at a detriment to, to so many people who find themselves alone, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, and so it's like, if there's any way in which that, like something that I can, um, if I've taught myself to, um, to try to be open and vulnerable about these things, you know, I'm not vulnerable (laughs) about everything, but like, I, I feel like I'd be pretty vulnerable about these things, you know, then it's like, you know, I, 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 I hope that, um, it, it expands somebody else's vulnerability and gives them permission to like, not feel as alone in that loss. In a dream, he comes to me and says, I am sorry, but I had to go. Anise, there was a lion, and the lion was eating me. Say they had found more of you than just your shoes and your feet. 
not even your whole body, but say even just your legs. And if your legs were thick enough, would I keep one? That I might use you to hold my umbrellas in the corner by my front door and to see every time I came home. And if so, would I then get not only one umbrella, but enough to constitute keeping you close enough to carry a collection of things that keep me dry in this world? Or maybe... If your leg is just the size it is, or as there is no longer is when it comes to you, was. If your legs were the size they were the spring I saw you last, in the parking lot of Star Seeds, the diner down in Austin, off I-35 at Southeast 31st, where you bellowed the last words I heard your voice yell in this world, you still my boy, and in which your legs then were the same thinness they had been since our freshman science class when we first met would i then just hollow one out so it could hold say only one very thin umbrella or a walking stick perhaps or better yet a long skinny precious sword that I could use to open letters every time one arrived from the kingdom of the dead, bearing your garbled and scrawled name across it, written as if spoken with a mouthful of rocks. I would recognize it in any alphabet. And because I've missed your story so much these last ten years, I would long to read in my home about where you have been traveling ever since you left this place. How long can the human heart live? out there on the boats, when no one comes, when one is alone, and one stays alone, because no one comes, how long does the human heart live, out there, on out there, there are boats, and no one came to you. That was Anis Mojgani's Piece, contextual Encyclopedia of Gales, soundscaped by Nick Jaina, the podcast producer who's here live with us in the studio. Nick Jaina, how are you? Oh, wait, I'm not in the studio. I'm in my house. Oh, yeah. We're not. They don't need to know that. I sense and know that you had sort of a relationship with Anis Mojgani and, and his writing, at least before this podcast episode. Yeah, uh, I used to live in Portland. He lives in Portland. I know him through our friend Olivia, aka LV Pepper. Uh, she introduced us. Um, I would, I, I miss him because I, I used to just go and write at this uh, bookstore coffee shop in Portland, and he would just show up, and I, we didn't even plan it, and I just I ran into him several times, and we just talked, and well, sometimes just read or wrote together, but the. The first time I met him was out at the Seaside Lodge in Southwest Washington called the Southwester. And I was there doing a writer's uh, workshop with Olivia and we were staying in a room together and Anise came out and he stayed in the, the room across from us. And there was this epic night where, uh, you know, you know, LV, like she sees ghosts, uh, she sees spirits and it encounters those things. I, I'd never been in the room with someone while they were seeing a ghost and I couldn't, but that, but I felt that it was absolutely real that this ghost was out on the balcony because it's not like she wasn't like stoked about it. <laughs> you know, she wasn't like, Ooh, there's a ghost out there. You know, she was like making the sound that a cat makes when it's um you know like under a car and and growling at a dog that's been antagonizing it and pulling up the covers to her mouth and um i ended up falling asleep first we we were like she was in the bed i was on the couch i fell asleep and she stayed up and she said at some point in the middle of the night the door swung open and i sprung up still asleep and looked startled um, so the next morning she said, she told me about this and then Anise came over to, uh, have breakfast with us and, um, we told him about the, the ghost encounter that we had and he said, oh, that's funny. I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked up in the room and there was this, uh, girl standing there masturbating and crying and it was like a ghost of this child 
and it was it, it, it he said like the the overwhelming emotion of it was just this sad quality that this sad lonely ghost <laughs> and it turned out like when we talked to the front desk that he was staying in the room that often had haunted encounters and then we were on the balcony where that connects to that room where like sometimes there's some spillover so that was the first day i met anisa <laughs> was wow. this mutual encounter of this like haunted night at the at the southwester lodge and he was uh, very very chill about it he just approached it all with a curiosity i, I was pretty unnerved by it because i think olivia was implying that it was my ghost it was like attached to me even if even though i couldn't see it it was like spiraling around me and my own sadness like it was this funnel that was attracting this ghost and and i kind of felt bad that i uh, caught, uh that anise got caught up in all that <laughs> sad ghost energy mm. um have you ever seen a ghost uh no uh sort of in half dreams i've seen little little images but not in the way that Olivia does and and it's happened other times with her where she's just it's it's like a like a the way a cat will like hiss at something that's not there and you're like what is it what is it um mm. it was a really amazing moment i always thought like oh i just never encountered a ghost but it turned out that i never i didn't know how to see it or still don't there's something about the vision that is more peripheral or more side glances than just staring at something and and seeing it do you have any sense that you could figure out how to start seeing ghosts yeah um uh i work with an energy worker who talks about really just like strengthening peripheral vision um like starting by looking at your hand and softening your focus and just kind of seeing the things around it like we're so supported in this one type of vision that um i forget if it's the rods or the cones but one of those is primarily for the direct vision and the other is really good with the peripheral vision you know that experience of just thinking that you see something out of the corner of your eye or just sort of like catching something and you look and then there's not something there there's just this idea that that's actually two modes of seeing and then the more direct vision is more supported by the way that we like to know facts but that doesn't uh, negate its existence it's just seeing it through a different way like if you detected something through infrared versus visible light and you looked with visible light and there was nothing there and you could say well there's nothing there but there is there are other wavelengths where you see these things so yeah i, I would like to try to do that it would be interesting what kind of context do you give ghosts existing like what are ghosts yeah anything you can add or, or anything you think about how they exist and why, or, you know, mm -hmm. if you feel any of the, if you know, cause I, I also believe someone could be like, yeah, I think they're real, but like, I don't know, but do you have any other? Yeah. Thoughts? I mean, I've heard the description, like it's like a smear, like an emotional smear on a window pane or something like, you know, like the way that a, a, a big event, even a life can leave ripples or, or something that like reverberates that it's just kind of like a, an echo or reverberation of a life. Uh, that's, that's one way of thinking of it, but I've also done channeling and seen people that have done channeling too, where, um, it captures this, again, it's like this peripheral intuitive aspect of you where you're like, am I just imagining this? Am I just speaking for them? I don't know. Like I don't normally have this voice coming through so clearly that speaks to something that I don't necessarily know. So, um, I, I do think that there is a spirit and a body and when the body dies, there is some tangible spirit that continues in some different realm. And sometimes those spirits have trouble getting to a good place or feeling complete. And I think you quoted, uh, I forget who you quoted last episode about if you don't have mm -hmm. ancestors, you have ghosts. Who was yeah. that? I don't remember his name either. <laughs> um, I think that's a great way to put it. Like we are a very like memory free, ancestry free country. Um, yet we have a lot of ghosts and maybe just the, the doubling down on the, the direct vision, the like absolute fact is a way of just furthering that denial of taking in any possibility that there are those things. 
that's kind of how I see it. And just accepting more of that ancestral lineage and welcoming the ghost as opposed to feeling like they're all going to be uh, evil and haunted and something terrifying to face is just another form of denialism, I think. Mm. Well, listeners, um, can you do us a favor and can you whisper your ghost stories <laughs> to us in an audio file that's less than five minutes and email it to pod at yg2d.com? Pod at yg2d.com. Whisper your ghost stories. Make them less than five minutes or we will. Um, well, thanks, Nick. This yeah. was a really favorite episode and especially made um, made great even better with your work and music running through it. And um, especially in that poem by Anise. Thanks. So thanks. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. What? Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Did you? No, I just, I just want to say I love Anise. I love his voice. I love the, the bite in his voice. He's just, he's one of the best readers of poetry in the world. I'm just so glad that we got to have to, that you got to talk to him and we got a recording of him reading poem. Yeah, me too. Hope you enjoyed it, everybody, as much as we did. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye.